Hold on for now. Just hold on for now. I thought it was hold on for life. Is it? It's hold on for something. Oh, it certainly says hold on. Yeah, we, so. know, we know that for a fact. We know it's hold on. Well, and you're welcome. listening to the Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, we're starting out strong. This the today's show was all about Doge, baby. No, I'm playing. It's not. Fuck Doge. Uh, I'm the host that talks first. My name is D. I just wonder where you're gonna go with that. Like you forgot your name there. I'm the host that usually talks second, Doctor <laughs> Corey Petty, and I'm the host that talks third, Jesse Broke. What's Welcome, cracking? guys. Welcome back. What's cracking? How's you? I mean, how's your week, bro? My week was busy, man. I was tired. That was I had a tiring week of a lot of phone calls. Not phone calls. I don't make phone calls these days, but like meetings, internet meetings. I think there's Zoom meetings before the meetings. I don't use a lot of Zoom. I don't like mm. I don't like Zoom for security reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I use other things that some things I don't like, some things I do, but just get the, get the job done. So we have the uh, we've got the Gitcoin kernel block three uh, kicking off next week. So. I've been preparing, doing a lot of preparation for that because I run the security track for the kernel, uh, kernel block. So I've been preparing a lot of material and the two skills that someone's going to have is that, that, that I'm hoping they're going to have, uh, by the end of this block, if they take the security track is they're going to be able to threat model. They can look at a project and make a threat modeling diagram of that particular project it means they, they can assess risk uh, of how a project is put together. And they're going to be able to apply what's called a best practices review, meaning they're going to, be able to look at that project and see whether or not uh, like how well this project is conforming to what would be considered best practices. So if you okay. sign up and take the kernel, the kernel security block, you get that from me. And explain to the people what Gitcoin is, because it's not what most people were thinking. It's like, oh, let's get that coin. No, uh, it's yeah. It's so like, this isn't uh, actually uh, this isn't actually like it's it's like a subsidiary thing. It's like a branch off of Gitcoin. So there's no like you don't have to be involved with Gitcoin whatsoever in the process of, of well, taking this course. Gitcoin. What's Gitcoin? Gitcoin is, version of GitHub. No, it's not. <laughs> Why not? 
So it actually uses not. GitHub. What do you What do you mean? Why not? It uses not. GitHub. What it's, it's like it's, what it is is a it's a whole system for uh, creating bounties, like like making tasks of work. Um, say for instance, I'm like us at status. There's some, there's some work that we want done that we don't really have time for. We know it needs to be done, but it's not high on our priority list. What we can do is we can create what's called Gitcoin bounties. We say like, this is the work that needs to be done. This is the amount of money we're willing to pay for it. We put it on a board and like, this is the type of skills you need in order to get this work done. And someone who's looking for work can basically troll this board and be like, oh, I can do that. And that's worth the money. This is about how long it's going to take me. So it's worth my time to do it. And they submit basically a proposal to do that work. And then they do that work. And we assess it as status. We say, that's great. And we pay them, we pay them money. So, so it's basically like a job board. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff to Gitcoin, which we'll get to in a second. But so what's you, interesting so about this is that it's, it's all done through GitHub. And so in order for us to like verify identity and assess the work, it's all done through the process of using um, PRs and comments and things through GitHub. Mm. Since so, our code base is open source, it's like it's a, it's a platform for trying to get people to work on open source projects and pay them for doing it. It's a bid proposal platform. Yeah. But there's also a whole other side, right? So Gitcoin also has Gitcoin grants and other stuff. There's a, Gitcoin has grown drastically since its inception. So Gitcoin grants is a way for you to say, like, I'm doing this work. Uh, this is what it is. This is why I'm doing it. And I've mm. made a grant. And then what you can do mm. if you'd like to fund work is you can basically pay that person in crypto. Now, what's interesting about this is they've employed this thing called uh, quadratic funding, right? Uh, so what they're trying to do by getting people to pay for grants is actually the signaling mechanism. So what they would prefer is that you make a bunch of small donations, like one die, which is the equivalent of $1 to a bunch of things that you think are important. And what happens is a bunch of people do this. And then the, the, like basically that counts as voting and that works as a signaling mechanism to make this giant pool of money that larger corporations have donated to the cause to inform how those funds should be distributed across all the projects. And the quadratic funding part is uh, keeps whales from dictating where money gets goes. So your vote is equivalent to the square root of the amount you donate. Mm. Right. So, so the weight of your vote is the square root of the amount you donate. So if you vote $1, your vote is one. If you vote $4, your vote is two. If you vote $9, your vote is three. So it keeps people from like over-influencing with money, but things should happen. That's why, that's why I said it incentivizes people to vote with small numbers of money to a bunch of different projects. So it signals that type of thing. That's a square root function. I'm drawing it for the audience. Appreciate so that. Know. It's just shame we don't have like a a nice like trailing light feature coming off your finger like ET. <laughs> the square root function. That's what it looks like. What is that? Provide direct or what is that? First time evidence, evidence about an event. Why does it stop that's the moment it gets to the last one? Anyway. So that's what Gitcoin is. And uh, the, the, the kernel education course is a way to like grow a community of people who are interested in all of this stuff. Okay. And you get uh, influencers in the different tracks to help educate people how to like 
make themselves better and build stuff. Can I can I launch a Gitcoin for anything? Say, for example, the summer is coming up. It's around the corner. <laughs> if I wanted to know who had the best abilities at making a summer BLT for me, and I were willing to pay for their travel to my location to make me a BLT, could I launch a Gitcoin for that? Could I do that? I don't think so. Okay, just wondering. Just a question that I have. Yeah, it'd be hard to prove that through Git through, through GitHub. Pictures? <laughs> file, file, file issues as they're making it in some random GitHub repo. Yeah. I yeah. see that the you're. Lettuce, <laughs> the lettuce used was not butter lettuce, so or crispy. BLT, it was the soggy this, sale? This BLT does not work. Okay, so on in in, in a nutshell. Gitcoin is a bid proposal platform. People looking for work that don't necessarily want to do the work in house. They want contractors to do it. Yeah, they've done a wonderful job of okay. getting people uh, paid to work on open source projects. That's pretty. Or dope. getting or getting open source projects paid, like getting getting them funding the grant process. So much That's money has dope. gone through them. And it's a really good way for people to signal what they think should be funded. Uh, and a way for large corporations to allow the masses to dictate uh, how they donate their money. So they say, I'm offering up a bunch of money to the Gitcoin platform. And the people who are voting with their with their money through quadratic voting are going to dictate how that money gets allocated across all these, all these things, which is awesome. Yeah. Hey, Nate. Congratulations, buddy. <laughs> he said hey, congratulations. World. What's up? Hey, tell him I said thank yeah. you. <laughs> That's my older brother, everyone. If you couldn't tell, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because I'm a lot darker than he is. Are you? <laughs> Are we? I don't, I don't know. think so. Kind of I don't think so. Your um, hair's darker because you got some. Uh, ooh, burn. Um. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Show them. We're today. We're sponsored by Johnny Walker Blue. Uh, it is that bottle is almost gone. It is, isn't it? Did you buy that today? Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. (laughs) But we we did. We purchased today. So, anyways, this isn't supposed to be a Swifty episode, but it's gonna be. All right. So that was how Corey's week is. Jesse, how's your your week been, man? (laughs) I've been I've been talking about. Okay, so so COVID shot COVID shot happened. Uh, I don't know where your shot was, but my shot is way the fuck like up on my, like on the top of my shoulder. It's like, pretty high up there. Yeah. Usually you put it like mid arm. Just trying to show off your guns. Is that what you're just no, trying to no, do? That's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's trying to show people anyway. All right. So, so that it's like the, the needle went like into my joint. So <laughs> <laughs> I have zero symptoms. So Good. everybody's, you know, complaining of the second shot symptoms. I have none of that. Probably because I I've never the, the the injection probably didn't go in the right place. <laughs> it's inside your bone. <laughs> Doctor yeah. put it in your bone marrow. <laughs> like, and and uh, you discovered the best way to administer the vaccine. Actually, God, it may it may have gone where it's not supposed to go. So what does that mean? Are you going to mutate? I guess we'll see. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. No, just, just... I hope you don't mutate. Um. As for me, my week was pretty chill. Got to watch some jazz music. Got to 
you know, a little slight vacation, slight work, slight vacation. I feel like my entire life sometimes is turned into slight work, slight vacation, which means that I'm probably doing something right. I feel like I feel like you're that's... either working too hard or you're not really working ever. <laughs> but I know yeah. that you're working, so I don't think it's the latter. There's an average, right? Like there's work being done, but I also got to go on vacation. But I'm still doing work while I'm on the vacation, but it's not like heavily strenuous work. That's a good sweet spot I've hit right now. Let's talk about that for a hot second. So like Mm. this is this is tangentially relevant to cryptocurrency, right? Uh, is that like being able to be paid online and opening up the ability to make a living doing work that doesn't require you to be somewhere has has like change what it means to work in a lot of ways right mm-hmm. so like for people like us and younger the concept of the nine to five and going somewhere is stupid it doesn't make any sense especially because it's it's global in a lot of ways so that more often than not my nine to five doesn't overlap with the people that i'm working with uh or and, and the types of I, I work on so many different things on so many different organizations that like there is no work schedule it's just get shit done when you need to get it done and do it at a pace that you're not going to get burnt out on a manageable pace yeah and and i feel like we still latch on to this concept of like i need a job where i where i go monday through friday and i do my work and then i come home and i clock out and i you know like kiss my son on the forehead and make dinner right like Work when you can. Work whenever you want. Get the job done. Get paid yeah. and hang out. That's one of the things I love about crypto is that exact culture is that it's very meritoc meritoc crypto meritoc. It's very merit. It's a meritocracy. Meritocracy is what it is, and you know you put up or you shut up. You get something done. It doesn't matter the time in which it takes to get it done. It gets done, and. um it's really nice that, that 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 culture, that vibe that crypto has. So for those of you that are listening to the show or watching the show, if you want to get into crypto, you think that's a career you want to get into. It's a very relaxed. It can be, depending on the company that you work for, but it's a meritocracy. Like they don't really care who, what, why is getting the work done as long as the work gets done. And it's something that can be, what's the word? Shipped. Shipped. Ship it. Right? Uh, there's a, there's a dark side to this, though. That's something that I've experienced Ooh, and, and tried to. Oh, this is something that I, like, like I've had to try and figure out. It. Yeah, like it, it's something that I've experienced because I've been working from home for I don't know four years now, at least for like five if you count the off and on that I worked for my previous jobs. And there's this as you work from home and. Like you work in the place that you live, um, the, the the lines between work and not work blur really strongly. And I've always had a lifestyle and and a, and a job where I basically like that line's been blurred. But as I've gained more and more responsibility with my with my career, the amount of hours that I'm working and the time I'm spending thinking about work have grown and started to like really impinge on my, 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 my personal life. And I think that's something that is, that it's really easy to let happen. Uh, 
especially if you have a demanding job or a lot of responsibility is to never take time for yourself. If you work from home, I got a pro tip for you, Corey. What's that? You need to put on nice shirts in the morning. No, nah, I'm wearing sweatpants and sweatshirts the rest of my life, man. Don't so care. Funny, bro. Don't you care. Put on a nice shirt. Come up with some new advice. Like you're going not to doing it. Not and doing it. To, and then you can, you can get, bro, you can role play with, you could be like, not hey, doing man, it. you should like, you should bring me lunch today. You should bring me lunch <laughs> at the office today. And here's the where, child. Yeah. Like, here's the child. Here's your baby. You know what I'm saying? You should like treat it like work, but not at the same time. Like just have a briefcase with nothing in it. So, all right. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I got meetings today. And then just go down into your basement and just be like, all right, now I'm working. Right. Does that not work? Does not no. Work? Maybe. Maybe it does. Well, I think I know people that do something something similar to that, right? They they get ready for the day. They dress like an adult. Uh, and yeah. it helps them feel like they're going somewhere to do a job. And I don't do change yeah, I do anything. That. I don't change anything whatsoever. I, I am the same person. That's, that's also like the way I've modeled my life. There's like, I'm going to be myself. 100% of the day, regardless of what I'm doing. And I'm not going to change anything. See, but there's, you can be your, there's a, see, like with me, there's segments of me. There's mm -hmm. a professional me. There's a chill me. There's a weekend me. Like these are all people that have culminated into who I am. Right. So when I, what helps me in most recently, since one of our locations is down for the count, I've been working from home a lot. I put on a button-up shirt and I chill in my home office in a button-up shirt. Just if I get called into Zoom meetings or whatever, at least I look professional. I feel like I'm at work. And then when I'm done, I just clock out. I you know, think those helps. cats who are like buying $20 of Dodge are doing the same, Doge doing the same thing? They like put on a business shirt and being like going, just staring at the charts the whole day? I think they do three lines of Coke and buy as many Doge as they can. <laughs> and then they... And then they and then they sell as much Doge as they can, and they're not worrying about tax implications or how many pennies per dollar of profit goes to the tax man. They're just fucking winging it. That's what I think about people that are in the Doge right now. My yeah. my wife was telling me. I mean, it's, I, I I put a tweet out today that uh, this is this is getting real. Um, it's gotten so bad that I'm becoming exhausted from the number of messages that I need to ignore. Yeah. That's how that's how bad the like auntie index is right now. Nine, Bro. yeah, SNL, to... right? Today, what? yeah. Elon's yeah. Elon Musk's SNL skits going to be in six minutes, five minutes. I guess I'll be watching that tomorrow on YouTube and then all yeah. over Reddit. So I'm hold gonna, on to your I'm butts. About to a, I'm about to put a Facebook post up that says I'm no longer giving away free advice. You will pay for the crypto advice that I give you. I know we've been friends from middle school. I know that I have a generous face. I know that <laughs> I've been nice to you my entire life, but I can no longer afford the time to answer your crypto questions. Oh, so you know either, what I said? What's up? Go ahead. I keep going. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm either going to be like, put on your big boy, big girl pants and surf the internet like the rest of the world to learn about something you should have been learning about five to seven years ago or pay me when I send you my invoice. And then if you don't pay me, I do have the means to sue you into dust. <laughs> so fucking pay me or we're not going to have this conversation. You're not going to pretend like, 
oh hey how's it going man oh you have a sister right and like a brother too or like hey how's your life like hey i see you still got the mustache like no i don't know you you don't know me i'm gonna you're gonna pay me for my time because this is getting absurd i don't care about those i don't know about those you would answer them just just ignore them no (laughs) that's what i said that's what i said the number of messages i'm ignoring is getting exhausting uh what i tell them is this like if you want personal advice or or consulting on various cryptocurrencies and whether or not they're useful mm-hmm. you can do one of two things you can listen to the podcast and join the slack like everyone else and get it for free or you can contact me directly but i'm very expensive that's that i'm gonna copy that i think i saw that facebook post and it inspired me to this yeah. energy that i'm putting out <laughs> right now i'm gonna copy that verbatim and paste it and just be like look I can't help you unless you're willing to pay me. Like I can't. Yeah, you can, you get, you can put comments in the video right now and we'll answer things. You can be in the Slack asking questions and there's hundreds of people Look, that are willing to answer you. Even Danny's like, I got randos asking me about Doge. And it's like, you don't understand how much we, how little fucks we give about Doge. It's not even like, oh, no. I don't even think it's measurable. It's interesting now. So here's, here's, here's the weird part. Like I, we can, Talk about this. Uh, there's going to be this possibility that Dogecoin becomes legitimate because it was a joke and it was pushed so hard by celebrities that it's actually garnering attention to put development into the ecosystem. Because, like, let's put it this way: it's better than Ripple. That's true. That's I, wow. I never even thought about that, but that's very true. It's better than Ripple. In terms of like, I don't know the distribution. So when I think about these things, of Doge, it's not a good distribution though. It's just I don't, I don't know it. I don't know yeah. what it is. So the 13 addresses, top 13 own 67%. Okay. Well, how is that different than the majority of tokens out there? Well, I don't know. Do, does it, you, like they're asking for the distribution. Majority. I'm just giving you some numbers. Well, F's distribution is pretty bad too, if you go look at it. Hmm. Well, Ethereum, all of these tokens distribution is pretty bad when it gets down to it. Let's not go there. Not tonight. But like that's interesting. <laughs> I think that's interesting that it's going to get memed into legitimacy if people start actually use. Because like, okay, why is Bitcoin legitimate? Because people use it and people use like store value in it. There's because the meme associated with 21, 21, <laughs> 21 million tokens, and they hold that they they use that as a as a say like this digital scarcity is a store value. Dogecoin doesn't have that. They have an, a, a, a more heavily inflated supply. I think it's like 50 billion every decade is around no, no the cap inflation rate. The cap. Yeah, but like that's what I'm saying. Oh, the cap dude, is like 50 billion is, every decade. I see. That doesn't change, I don't think, as far as I know. I feel like Jackson Palmer just got that's really enough. drunk off of wine, specifically wine, red wine, and made those. And now that's he's like, what, what have I done? You know, that's like, I, I wish I would have done that because I had, we had opportunities. I had played around with making altcoins back then. We just never pushed them. We didn't, it would have been really simple. Yeah. I actually made one. I just never released it. That's true. Um, I didn't put it on Bitcoin talk or Bitcoin. Yeah, we should have, we should make it. What's the name of that forum? What's that forum? Let's talk Bitcoin. Bitcoin. No, bitcointalk.org or what's oh, the forum? Bitcointalk.org. That's it. Bitcointalk.org. Yeah. That's I mean, where everything like, had you know, really. It's very funny that, like, I think when the government does crack down, it's going to crack down on the tokens it doesn't have bags of. 
and Doge is going to be one of them. And XRP is probably going to be one of them. They may and, use it as because like what you're seeing now is a lot of celebrities, um, specifically high tech ones, right? The big tech celebrities like Elon Musk uh, using this thing as like a personal, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like they understand they have a tremendous amount of influence in the community and the price for that matter. But like it could be a weapon for government to go after Doge to attack big tech because big tech is behind Dogecoin. And it's going to screw mm-hmm. a lot of people in the process of that. If, mm-hmm. if that was a thing that happened, because if, if you're right, they go after the things they don't hold bags of and Dogecoin is one of them. It's going to screw the people that they probably like to screw in a lot of ways, but like not mm-hmm. officially. And all of the people who are funneling dumb money into it, like, uh, like, uh, what is it? The wall street bets type people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's not get that energy in here. Those people, if you're out there and you're listening and those are something that you're YOLOing into, like it's going out of style, then do your thing and I hope it I hope it turns out right. I think at the end of the day, what you're trying to prove is like what's the importance of a Bitcoin? What's the importance of an Ether? If Doge is shitty and it, the value could be just the same or comparable. And let me tell you something, that's stupid ass logic. And I'm gonna tell you that to your face. Like it's just not, it's stupid. It's some stupid shit. And you're involved in stupid shit. And that's okay to get involved in stupid shit. And uh, you are what it, it is what it is. Now, let's talk about Bitcoin because we never ever talk about Bitcoin on the Bitcoin podcast, which is very funny. Um, Taproot, it's a thing. It's going down. It's signaling. The miners are starting to signal. Contracting and more private Bitcoin is going to be a reality. How do you guys feel about it? I know for one, my pants are tight. Because I feel like, yeah, it's going to be five to seven years before Bitcoin has any bona fide contracts that are holding a lot of value. Um, And, you know, people, it's going to take another five years after that for people to figure out like, oh, I can use my Bitcoin completely private. And no one will know that it's me using this Bitcoin. Uh, Just like, you know, only, what is it, 60% of the Bitcoin transactions are SegWit transactions, right? These things take time. but I mean, that's a pretty big win for old, old Bitcoin, old Yoda of crypto, is it not? We're at, in fact, the numbers here: fifty-four point eight five percent of the miners have signaled Taproot already, which is yeah. I'm looking at the website, which is isn't that ahead of schedule, right? Is it not? Well, it has to be over ninety percent before anything happens. So it's because you still have quite a bit to go. And since the, the pools in Bitcoin are relatively large, getting to that ninety percent is basically unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how long that takes. It's exciting that it's actually happening, and you can watch it. And it's up to this much already. Yeah. Um, I was actually hearing, well, maybe it was a tweet that I saw. Um, Edward Snowden was talking about. A couple things on about Taproot, saying that it's actually not it's it's worse privacy than uh, and having Taproot is worse privacy than not having Taproot, and I don't understand why he would think that. So I'm gonna have to go back and like listen to a, the podcast he did where he discusses this because I I don't think that's true. That's not true. Well, it depends. It depends on I how he, the scripts and Taproot get published. So no, he was, he was specifically saying Taproot is bad, uh, but I don't, 
I'd have to, I'm, I'm going to go into that and that's for another podcast, but I'm happy that it's going through because I like the types of things that Taproot enables in Bitcoin. And I'm excited to see that type of stuff get built. Uh, all my Bitcoin does is sit on the shelf, <laughs> but my ether is doing all kinds of shit. Like what? So, I mean, I'm in some liquidity pools over here. I did some swaps. I got swapping going on. Uh, I'm about to make a bigger liquidity pool. So I can just have that steady money, baby, coming in. Like I love it. That little that little twenty four hundred dollar experiment I did last fall has more than like it's it's become quite a great endeavor. Uh, just fucking around with liquidity pools because I didn't know what I was doing, but I did it, and now it's here. And it's just like you know, if Bitcoin becomes that smart, which I do believe Badger does, but it's just like all my Bitcoin does is collect digital dust that grows in value well it has (laughs) well it grows in value that's tangent that's not tangential but directly related not directly it's it grows in value that's related to the usd yeah but what does it do as far as crypto is concerned that's what i don't know grows in value related to the other cryptos you own does it has it been because the dominance is decreasing it's going to go back up probably why do you think that it always does. I don't think that it, it always does. <laughs> it, yeah, but like the amount of stuff happening outside of Bitcoin continues to grow. Like, there's how much? Like ten percent of like Bitcoin is on Ethereum, like locked up yeah, in Ethereum. More stuff equals more risk, and all it takes is a sequence of shitty events for that risk to be actualized. Well, here's the thing, and then all of a sudden. All this money is 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 small potatoes in comparison to what real finance money is. That's true. So that if that dominance, if if that if that big money that we keep saying is going to come and it's, it is coming and has been has been flowing into the uh, the crypto networks continues and, and goes at a higher scale. If it's if it's not going into Bitcoin, if DeFi ain't really on Bitcoin, then that dominance is going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. All right. With that being said, let's cut to the let's cut to a good point to cut to the interview. All right, we had on Johnny Huxtable, and I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but don't because it has nothing to do with that show. In fact, that show can't even be spoken of anymore. Um, so I can do I? think we're gonna. I, I'm pretty sure it can't because of the situation. I mean, it was a bad situation. The implication. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and cut to the interview, and let's see how that interview with Mr. Huxtable went. Hello, Johnny. Welcome to the show. Uh, everybody, we have a wonderful interview from, for you. We have Johnny Huxtable from Link Pool. Uh, I would say looking at the various stuff online, um, your website, things like that, the TLDR of Link Pool is infrastructure for Chainlink. Is that a general, yeah. general short way to put what you guys do? Yeah, right. It's um, our purpose is to lower the barrier of entry to the Chainlink network, whether that is infrastructure products to staking products and, you know, our other players like the marketplace, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You Very have quite stuff. a few services offered. And I think that's, that's a, that's a valuable wing of any useful network. And um, we'll probably get into a little, a little bit more. Do you want to start us off by kind of introducing yourself and, and saying, you know, where you came from, how you got into this, this ecosystem? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I'm Johnny Uxtable, um, the founder and CTO of Linkpool. 
Um, you know, we started in 2017, shortly after sort of Chainlink came around. You know, we identified sort of really quite early in the game, you know, around the, the staking ecosystem for Chainlink and, you know, the need for someone to sort of come in and lower the barrier um, of entry in that regard. So, you know, since then, um, you know, we've just been working hard from the, the marketplace to infrastructure players. You know, me, myself, um, I got into Chainlink um, when I was actually learning Solidity as a language. So I was sort of developing that and just wondering whether you could actually fetch external data into contracts, which is how I sort of stumbled into it at the lucky time. Um, and the rest is history, really, sort of been heads down ever since. I barely ever take it back up. This is one of the few times I've actually um, <laughs> sort of talked to people recently. That's <laughs> probably, nice. probably a good time to start talking to people. And for those that, I guess, yeah. don't know, who've had their head in the sand, uh, Chainlink, I would say, markets themselves as the uh, best way to get real-world data into blockchains. Right, exactly. Exactly. They push the concept of a decentralized Oracle network, which is uh, the, I think Sergey was recently on Lex Friedman and he called it the, uh, the uh, what's it called? Definitive trust. So how two people come to agreement on a specific thing and say, this is what happened. This is, this is the definitive truth of whatever we care about. And Chainlink provides a decentralized way of coming to definitive truth such that blockchains can consume them. So like I can say uh, the, a specific team won a specific game and do a specific action in a smart contract based on that information as opposed to relying on some random dude to tell me that. Uh, and what you're doing at Linkpool, and this is something that I, I found useful, is helping people provide that infrastructure, stake their chain, uh, their, like their 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 tokens into the network and the place they want to be or discover the available data sources they can use in smart contracts. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, for example, just, I mean, with what you've talked about there with Chainlink, it's, it's been a, a wild ride for us. It, it sort of felt like forever when we was working on this way back in you know, 2018 um, for us to go live on mainnet in 2019. But I think one of the things um, that I'm, pretty proud of and just seeing it grow over time is just how it's been a catalyst to the DeFi space, right? How especially the the data within price feeds has sort of allowed that whole industry to go into the behemoth that it is now, which is really good. You know, for us in Linkpool, um, we're always going to be working on our play into the DeFi space, right? Like you sort of talked about there with staking. Um, and yeah, especially going forward, and you mentioned sports betting, I think that's an area you're probably going to see a lot more on soon, especially like automatic sort of market creation and settlement, which is um, sort of a really interesting concept. I'd love to see that actually um, put into practice on chain. And just the, the non-DeFi applications, so like you said, with sports betting and, and what we do in Linkpool as part of the infrastructure is work with clients to be able to pull whatever data they provide onto the blockchain, right? And think of use cases. One of them I always like to talk about is, um, is a team called Watch Signals, and they actually provide like an API for getting 
um, the prices of luxury watches. So like, you know, if you actually create a feed, you know, you could get the price of a luxury watch and then create derivatives around that for people to be able to, you know, have a stable coming back by the, the price of a watch, for example, you know, you could take that example and then map that to cars, for example, um, create stable coins of, of cars based on the used um, market, which is super interesting. So people are building Oracle networks around just all kinds of random things and you're, and you're capable of doing that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for us, it's, I mean, it's sort of a bit of a consultancy play, right? Like we'll work with external data providers and help them um, sort of think about how that data can be used on chain. Um, and for example, on our marketplace, we're working on a rather large update at the minute to sort of showcase that a lot more, especially the different data that people um, will be providing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that we've been dedicating a lot of time on recently because it's it's interesting. Um, for me, you know, like since Chain launched in 2019, like I mentioned with DeFi, you're seeing a lot of usage um, on the price feeds and all the different pairs now that Chainlink supports and all the different oracles that are growing onto the networks. But you're not seeing much in the ways of um, like non-DeFi usage yet. One one of the examples Sergey always always mentions is insurance. You know, think of how large the insurance industry is, and especially um, agricultural insurance. If you had weather data, for example, you know, like water level data, you'd be able to create like automated um, agricultural sort of farming insurance products on chain that had automatic payouts, which is a really good concept because, you know, that makes that sort of product a lot more accessible to a lot more people as well. People who typically wouldn't be able to be insured. So um, we always used to talk about this in the early days before we went live on, on mainnet, but the use case really is, is pretty endless for what you can do because as long as you've got the data, um, then you can build some form of contract around that, right? Even like central, like central bank interest rates or the LIBOR rate, you know, everything else, it's, um, you could really sort of beyond what we're seeing already in DeFi, you know, it's, it's, you can really do a lot more with Chainlink. I think, um, sort of with how it's used at the minute, a lot of people sort of have a bit of tunnel vision on what it can be used for just think of it as the price feed oracle but mm -hmm. you know you can really do much more than that and for us as part of link pull it's you know it's really about helping people achieve those goals and providing their data on chain showcasing it with um with the websites like we do with the marketplace and then being able to provide economic security as well with the staking app so people can stake their link you know back these providers and people are offering this data on chain and to actually provide more security to the network. So. I got a lot of questions, Jess. You got anything? Nope, not yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I keep listening. All right, cool. Uh, in that case, so I remember we have we have quite a few people in the Bitcoin Podcast Slack, which is our our the main the main place of our community, who both work at Chainlink and, and and just are fans of Chainlink. So there's quite a bit of conversation around um, that ecosystem inside the Slack. I have asked some of them before, how the hell can I run a Chainlink node? Uh, right. And more often than not, the answer is, well, it's complicated. Yeah. Why? Um, 
Well, to begin with, the, the network is going to be expanding into the keepers model. If you've seen that recently, which mm -hmm. is don't want to get into the weeds too much, but it, it's a different sort of request model for being able to utilize Shailen Coracles on chain. Um, that will open the door, hopefully, for you know a lot of other people to become a Chainlink node operator. Um, to begin with, for for running nodes, you know, it's semi-trusted in the sense that you've um, that the feeds are are backed by you know people who run validators on chains and have million stakes. Right, There's, there was a sort of a tough um, sort of filtering and I suppose like application process to become a node operator to begin with. And over time, once the protocol develops, then that, you know, the the doors will start opening to become a um, an actual node operator yourself. And the first part of that will be the keepers process. And I could talk a lot more about sort of the ideas around what we call like the self-service model as well and reputation. And, you know, some of the white paper goes into this as well, the new one um, and how there will be sort of advancements within the core software and the protocol itself to allow third parties to be become part of the Chainlink network a lot more easily. And of course, like staking will be part of that. Um, so I suppose the answer is sort of it's complicated, but you know, this is one of them things where it's still very much early days within the network. And once advancements are developed and done and sort of tested and, and hardened over time, then this will become sort of, um, you know, a topic of the past, right? And everyone will be running uh, Chainlink Oracles. I see. So I guess if I had to like take a stab at it, uh, if you're going to build an Oracle network that mm -hmm. is trustworthy, you're not going to allow anybody to become the provider of data. They're going to need to have like, I guess be, be pretty stringent in, uh, the stake of the people who are doing this and make sure that they're technically capable of providing quality data. Cause you can't want to make an oral network and it not be very robust, or reliable in terms of the, the, the feeds that it's giving, yeah. particularly because the majority of the early feeds are all price data, which are going to be manipulated if possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it, it's getting, it's getting better now, but especially in the early days, the, um, the amount of operational overhead or sort of the, the amount of time it took to make sure um, everything was running smoothly from creating all the right monitoring rules and being able to ensure you're returning the right data and setting everything up and sort of the um, the setting up and management of all the data sources that you have as an old operator to reply back on chain um, is, is pretty intensive and you know, you've got to make sure if if there is any issues with any of the, the data providers, because sometimes they do mess up, right? We'll use like a huge basket of different APIs and, um, you know, some of them are, are faulty from time and time again. Um, you you know, you've got to action that quickly. Um, it's just, you know, all of, all, all of those little bits and pieces that make up the, the sort of the, the fabric of actually running an order operator will become automated and just easier over time. And the, the barrier of entry will become a lot lower, um, especially sort of, I mentioned this before, but the self-service model will sort of really play into that because it automates the, the creation of the Chainlink networks and feeds. I mean, you could, like you could run Chainlink nodes and get a couple of people together, right? So if you reached out to everyone in your Slack and they were technically minded, like you could run a bunch of nodes and create a Chainlink feed 
and actually return data and create a contract, right? Well, that is a price feed, a, a pairing for something that is not currently on chain, but it's just whether anyone would use it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you need to pay the oracles and um, if if no one's using it, you've just got to wonder if it's if if it's viable at this point, which will sort of, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, once things are developed, sort of fix itself more down the line. That's a good question. Hmm. How would someone evaluate whether or not a given data feed is worth building an Oracle for? What's like, what's like kind of the uh, economic analysis of discovering whether or not like it's worthwhile to try and build something like that in Chainlink? Well, when we do this for Linkpool, um, you know, it doesn't really cost us anything to make that data available. So you can sort of work with a data provider and, you know, be like, you've got this data and we can offer this on chain in this certain format. And then if people start using it, um, then you can sort of identify how many people are using it, potentially who's using it, and then how you can then take that data and potentially create a feed, you know, like get other node operators involved and actually create that into a fully full network. Um, and that happened, can't really say much more about it, but that happened that happened with the sports data so you know the example you gave to begin with right um that happened with one of the nodes that we created for that and you know that's turning into a um, a full project which is now viable to create a feed for right and it's going to see a lot of usage and sort of go into sports betting for example which i'm quite excited to uh, actually see deployed so if you had to toot your own horn going through a, a project like yours to test out specific types of data feeds is probably a good route to do as opposed to trying to do it all yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually got to the point now where um, Chainlink has sort of that much um, attention and visibility that people, a lot of these data providers and people who are sort of familiar in the space are reaching out and saying, you know, we have this data, like, can it be used on chain? Um, which is always exciting and you know for us there's there's actually a huge backlog of people who are looking to do this because you know people see a, a good opportunity right if um, even if these data providers aren't offering the data themselves through a first party node then you know from their point of view they can get to a point where you've got a, a large pocket of nodes that are facilitating a, a, a lot of requests for their data and end of day that's a money maker right because it's just generating those um those data providers api subscriptions there's just um there's quite a lot of attention for this so we don't really need to we sort of did this earlier and we'd analyze data sources and sort of think about how they could be used but at this point we don't need to that much because you know we get so much attention that people will just reach out and sort of be like we've got this data so it's a good spot yeah, I'd imagine. Uh, I can't, like, based on the way the internet works today, uh, there's a lot of people sitting around who maybe hear about smart contracts or the Oracle issue and go, well, I have data and that's valuable. I want to use it in a smart contract. And the obvious place to go is to figure out, like, okay, how, where do I go to do that? That's going to be Chainlink. They can't figure it out themselves. They use service providers like you to uh, either get consulting on how they can get that information reliably into a blockchain or uh, whether or not it currently exists and how they're going to add to it. Yeah, exactly right. So we sort of have 
two products in this sense, we'll consult them on how to set it up and help them if needed, or we can sort of manage the node for them as well. Whereas they have ownership of the, the, the keys in the contract. So, um, especially for like, you know, people who run like price data companies and high quality ones at that, you know, they sort of see what's happening in the crypto space, especially when they're, they're aggregating crypto prices and be like, you know, we've been working on this problem for a long time and see what Chainlink is doing and how their price feeds are used in DeFi and, you know, just get really excited and interested and then reach out. Um, and for us as well, like, you know, if we're thinking about price networks, the more people that reach out with high quality data is, is amazing, right? Because it just, it just adds more security to the price feeds and adds more variety in the data. So it's, it's coming from more sources because the last thing you want to do is rely on a, a single or a, a small handful of APIs that all rely on a, you know, one exchange or something that can easily be gamed. Which you've yeah. seen like yeah, uh, a lot of times. times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like coin, coin market cap price data being read from uh, smart contracts or something. Yep. I've seen a tremendous amount of uh, terrible things happen from manipulable feeds. Yeah, exactly right. Yep. So I guess seeing the various ways people can interact with Linkpool as, like, as a proxy for uh, contributing to Chainlink. Where are you seeing the majority of, of desire uh, from the end user? Is it people who want to run nodes? Is it people who want to just, they have chain, chain link and they want to throw server, they want to throw money at it, but they don't know exactly where, or are they looking for the data to use themselves? Um, I mean, I, I feel like if you tallied it all up and you got the raw numbers, you'd probably see more people wanting to run nodes and be part of this, right? Which is, a good thing because when that's possible it just adds security to the network at the minute um the big interest from a lot of people is um is well DeFi projects and different blockchains because chainlink at the minute is um, running on what ethereum binance chain um like matic for example xdi and you know from an integrations point of view um there's all these blockchains that want to get into the DeFi game and, you know, they might be working on a layer two. They might, it might just be another sort of layer one chain that is high throughput, something like Avalanche. And, you know, they want to be able to get these price feeds on their blockchain network to be able to facilitate the DeFi applications, right? I mean, just sort of look at what Pancake uh, Swap did recently on BSC. They integrated the, the BNB feed on BSC, for example, in their DeFi app. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of sort of people wanting Chainlink on on their network because they want a slice of the DeFi pie, right? They want to be able to test their throughput, get the users on and everything else, which is is, is good as well. It's, you know, it's, um, it's expensive from an infrastructure point of view because for us, like as part of Linkpool, right, we need to spin up like full nodes and validators across all of these networks. We need to have like DR and failover and HA and all that all of that stuff on these networks so that gets expensive but it's um it's worth it and it's um it's exciting really it only sort of um solidifies our place in the ecosystem because we're, we're building foundations to be able to facilitate all these different networks is Chainlink leveraging you guys quite a bit in order to kind of help facilitate the ecosystem running infrastructure or are they like how, how what's the what's the 
I guess, relationship between the Chainlink organization and services like, like, or like infrastructure as a service like you? Sure. I mean, Chainlink as a, a project has, you know, it reaches out and speaks to quite a lot of the node operators. It needs to have the constant communication there. You know, as for Linkpool, we got a, we got a grant uh, for marketplace development. And that was really important for us because it allowed us to actually, you know, bring more talented people on and think about how we can actually build out the marketplace and add more features to it. You know, that range from what we've done with like adding OCR feeds to the data marketplace that we're thinking about, you know, is the, the keepers support as well and all the different blockchains. So that's really helps us in that regard. Um, they don't, you know, use our infrastructure. You know, Chainlink have their own sort of, you know, typical like DevOps and infrastructure scene, like um, crypt, uh, crypto companies do. But yeah, the, Chainlink as a company likes to sort of um, be in touch with the third parties, right? Because at the end of the day for them, it's important because they want to encourage people to build on their network and platform. It's why you see like the big hackathons and the, you know, the prizes and everything else for using Chainlink and building on top of it. So. It's very much like just giving back to the community and the people who care about Chainlink and want to build good stuff on it, which is only a good thing. One of the um, sort of grants I really sort of liked when I saw it announced was there's technical, but there's like a, a, a code base, like an open source project. And the Chainlink core node, uh, like the core Oracle software uses this to manage its database. Um, and this project was maintained pretty much by a single guy mostly. And, you know, they give him a grant to be able to, you know, like scale up and maintain it more and actually sort of commit to working on that project, which is a good thing because, you know, like open source devs, especially if you're working on like a, a large code base, go pretty much unloved, right? Everyone sort of raises like, oh, he's a book here and he's an issue. I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, um, uh, give financial back into it and it makes sense because it's a critical sort of library for them to use it's just it's good to give back in that regard we got jesse hit him with something uh beyond prices beyond price data um mm -hmm. what kind of projects do you uh see using your services um yeah, the non-DeFi space is going to be interesting. I mean, before Chainlink went live in mainnet in 2019, I, it's like we sort of, all of us knew the mm -hmm. price data would be the most important data to be providing to the network. We didn't really envisage sort of how it had explored into the DeFi world, you know, that exists now. Um, I think the two main things are going to be betting, um, like sports betting, Mm -hmm. and the insurance market like i mentioned before um sports betting you know in terms of the the data sources is relatively easy right you're going to be able to get quite a few like apis mm -hmm. uh, for that for like different leagues so it's a, a pretty feasible one and we should hopefully see more on that soon and insurance is um is something i mentioned there was this didn't actually use Chainlink back in the day but there was like a proof of concept from um axa called what's it called now like fizzy or something um and it was smart contract based uh, flight insurance um mm. so it was a deployed ethereum contract so you put your flight number in you paid like a small deposit in ethereum and if your flight was something like three hours late or it got cancelled then you got an automatic payout 
and that data was you know returned from off chain on chain using an oracle it weren't chain link at the time but it sort of gives you a a glimpse into what could be done right uh, with products like that i'm curious if if you know of any projects that are kind of trying to onboard uh patient information but in a way that um um, keeps the information secure. I suppose like medical records and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, not that I know of, but I think, you know, the blockchain as a whole, this could be different with um, layer two networks, but like blockchains and settlement layers aren't really suited to the mass of data from something like that, right? Um, it's really about asserting what is true in that regard. So that's when you'd start actually um, probably more so putting hashes on chain of certain types of data, which wouldn't actually reveal the data. But if you had a typical like legacy system, for example, um, and you were sharing data between multiple parties, then you could um, encrypt like certain hashes with keys that you hold between yourselves and then make sure that data is true by just checking a hash on chain. So it keeps like a source of truth without actually re revealing the data. But I mean, projects that are actually doing this like right now, sort of in testnet or production, I don't know of pretty much mm -hmm. anything that I see these days is all DeFi related or just sort of like new things coming yeah, around. The DeFi space is kind of what is generating a good portion of the, the development anyway, just because that's where most of the money is as it currently yeah. stands. And it's also obvious that this, like the technology works for this type of thing. And it's obvious that you need uh, an Oracle in order to have like, a, like security around the things that are like the financial products that are built. Something I built when I was, God, how long has it been? I don't know, five years ago, four years ago, I forget. I built um, a private POC for a shipping company uh, that built, that basically guaranteed that a specific product didn't go outside of uh, set boundaries, whether it be, it, had, it was like a, a real world device that had like 4G or maybe some, I could have been edge, I forget, very, very low cost IoT uh, device that had accelerometers, temperature control, like uh, humidity controls, sensors, things yeah. like that. It was for shipping. So it was basically guaranteeing that a specific shipping product didn't go outside of the extremes um, in the process of shipping it. And I could see something like that as it ties into insurance being something quite useful or, or incredibly valuable for uh, giving guarantees around the quality assurance of a given service. Because like, if you think about, like, a, I guess what Sergey tries to try and push is the concept of definitive truth. And that is what is something that me and you agree upon that we then come into a like, come into an agreement on. So like what is a what is a thing that we need to be true in the real world that dictates an agreement we're going to have? For financial instruments, it's obvious. What's the price? Yeah. And based on based on specific price movements, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. But for insurance, it's much, it's a lot of different things. And that's going to be like What's the weather like? Uh, what was the qual like? Did the, did X, Y, and Z happen to this item over this given period of time? If so, 
do pay out this person, if not pay out this person. And so when you think about the definitive truth, it's how do we figure out X, Y, and Z in a reasonable way, and then insert that into the contract so that it can make the right decision. Yeah, one of the, um, well, I'm presuming actually for that POC that you built, um, you know, you had to get that data into an Ethereum smart contract somehow. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you wrote like a script or something mm -hmm. to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we did, um, like we did basically embedded keys into uh, like secure architecture of those chips that would sign transactions and submit them to the blockchain. Oh, okay. That's so you good. had some, you had a, basically like a, a manufacturing process for these chips uh, that would lock a given key to a, to an IoT device. And you had a way to kind of maintain the value on those keys through a central repository. It's a private blockchain, so who cares uh, in yeah. terms of all you, all you care about is the, the quality of the data, which is mainly on the validators and not individual IoT devices. Yeah. In this market, I think one of the core things for it to take off is the abundance of data, right? So I think mm -hmm. even, you know, you talked about weather data there, but so for example if you have three data sources but at the end of the day they point into the same weather station that weather station gets ripped up in a tornado and it's suddenly not working anymore and provides bad data like you've got a problem um so i think like the abundance of data and just um like this sort of product going more into the mainstream that kick starts this entire you know data economy basically you know, in the early days of Chainlink, we used to talk about this and sort of how much the API market was worth. And I can't really remember the numbers, but it was a big amount, but not really that big when you think about it. And, you know, data is the new oil, right? In terms of, of value, and it's only going to get more uh, valuable as time goes on. So you know, in the future, when um, it's just a lot more data about many different things and how this can be used from IoT devices on cars. And, you know, you've always got to think about like privacy and openness issues, but um, you know, blockchain helps in that. And it's the amount of use cases you can do. Sub supply chains is always a, a very interesting one, right? And um, you always need a, an Oracle for that sort of stuff. So it's, I'd love to see just anything like that being built and, you know, I can sit here and sort of do some high-level spitballing on what it could look like, or we write some PLCs. But I think what's shown in DeFi is just like whatever ideas you have about how something is going to look when it's used is just um, just, just going to be wrong, and it's just going to take it take form into an entirely different beast, um, which is not a bad thing. Just many minds sort of working on the same problem, right? But I think you'll come to to see over the course of, uh, let's assume that the concept of hybrid smart contracts or hybrid contracts is a thing. And that's kind of the combination of on-chain and off-chain computation. Mm -hmm. Off-chain computation being where Chainlink comes into most of it. Uh, if this is like kind of the future of, of what this technology provides, what you're probably going to find is some type of like coalescence or, or, or like coming together on what is valuable data as opposed to like what's just extraneous data that isn't useful yeah. um, because it's not being used. And so like if you saw, if you think about how data has grown as a commodity uh, in, in, the, in the internet, it's 
everyone hoards all information but doesn't know what to do with it it's like today's today's day and age right you think about a small web like a small company who has a website they gather all possible metrics and then hire data science and say, say what do we have tell me what i have and they don't really know uh something like this this hybrid contract concept tells you what people are looking for and the associated value movements of using that data so like how someone uses a specific type of data and how it needs to be structured so it can be used. And then the consequential value placed up like derived from that data. I think that's, it's a, it's a very obvious way to figure out like what type of data should be, should we be looking for and how do we come to agreement on uh, how it should be structured and sent into something that like where value transfer happens. Sure. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Because especially with all of this being open, it's the amount of um, analytics that you can do in form of data, right? And how it's used and how much it's used and what is actually needed is just going to sort of, um, it's, like it's just going to bootstrap that industry, right? And just make it more specific and less um, underutilized. It's, no, it's, a, it's a really good point. And I, I think we're going to, sort of see a lot more of this going forward because um, it, it's sort of like what happened with like DeFi right in the early days of like compound and um, synthetics um, you know it, all it takes is sort of a couple of projects to lead the way and show how it can be done and for it to get traction for everyone to start looking at this and start getting ideas and then the whole thing explodes um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I think, you know, one of the first catalysts really is mentioned it many times, but sports betting, especially automatic market creation and just automatic settlement, yeah, without, yeah, without just third party bookies. Have you looked at older projects trying to uh, capture that market like Augur uh, and where they may have, I don't know if you call them a fit, like if they fail, but why they didn't explode? as much. And I think that could be based on the Oracle issue. Yep. Um, I mean, cause that's what that is, right? Like that, that was all just a betting market and, but it's yeah. a decentralized betting market. I think one of the issues there was like in Olga, um, the market creation is, is mostly manual, right? So if you wanted to create a sports betting market, you'd actually have to go in and then you'd assign someone who would be providing that data. And then you'd have to go through like the settlement process. So actually providing it and then, you know, like layers of arbitration. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to see that advance the more time goes on, you know, the more sports data that is available and the more people think about this problem. Um, I th yeah, I think it's, it's going to take off, especially when you think about um, just like, just betting markets and you know the reliance of third parties for um for this sort of thing is completely unrelated but you know even take the example of what happened with robin hood again today you know like season like pausing crypto trading for example mm -hmm. people are quickly realizing that you know when you use third parties like this and you've got money in these platforms the um the window of of acceptable sort of operations for these platforms is is relatively slim. So I think it'll um, keep on growing. 
Yeah, I can see the wheels turning in Jesse's brain as he thinks about applications for medical use and all this. <laughs> That's, his brain stays in, in, in the medical world currently, so he's always thinking about that. It was, um, I mean, it's, com it's sort of completely unrelated, but from a technical point of view, it's, it's a bit similar. But we just, we had random talks with a team it must be years ago now, but they was thinking of like a proof of concept for like actual like building designs. And I forget the name of the diagram, but it's like the detailed like building designs, right? Where it goes into like, you know, a plug socket on a wall and a light switch and everything. Like else. Revit? Like what, sorry? It's called, a, there's a software that that's used in the industry. It's called Revit. Uh, All right. Like okay. Everything is a smart object. It, um, it was just when we was talking about this, the, there was like companies working together and they'd sort of update these diagrams mm -hmm. and they'd be like, who's is actually correct and what version was based from and everything else. And, yeah. you know, yeah. just, it's like, it, it's almost like version control, right? And yep. just being actually able to share what is the source of truth and being able to um, interact with different parties. Cause you know, in the legacy world, right? If you want to, um, plug in with a different company and share data in a certain way. You need to actually build a backend that can actually interact with theirs and speak the same language. Whereas if everyone's using the blockchain and that is like the ultimate settlement layer, mm -hmm. then everyone is dancing to the same song, right? It's like everyone's working for the same standard. So, um, yeah. That's a decent way to sort to wrap up here. Jesse, you want to hit him with we have a couple of signature questions we ask everybody. So uh -huh. get ready for those. Jesse, hit him with yours and I'll and I'll finish up with the, the other one. All right, Johnny. Uh is what you do actually hard? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it is, especially, you know, when you know, I just want to quote the, uh, this is fine meme, right? When things are on fire sometimes and it's like you're scrambling. Um, yeah, it is. Um, you've got to, you know, a lot of the things that you build as part of Chainlink are, um, and you know, the protocols that you work on and help test and develop, uh, first. So it's, you know, you've got to be sort of on your toes and, and thinking about things in a, in a fresh way and really sort of think outside of the box really to do, to be. Right, so try and be the best at what you're doing. I've always seen services like yours because there's a lot of them across the blockchain ecosystem. For every mm -hmm. network, there there is a myriad of services like yours that is uh, doing more of the handholding, translating the, the technical into a way that's approachable to a larger group of, of people. Uh, that's hard, especially based in my experience on the documentation of all these things. And the software that you use to run the networks isn't necessarily straightforward or up to you know quality code standards in a lot of ways yeah. and you have to make that approachable a lot. yeah 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 certainly in um in a lot of ways i mean i'm not gonna start name calling different networks but yeah it's no. like um yeah some of it is is problematic in some ways and it's difficult to uh you know, make hardened and production ready. One of the things with Chainlink, especially when you're running like blockchain services, I've seen someone speak about this today on Twitter, right? It's like APIs, like public APIs and RPCs being down. Like you just can't 
do that for Chainlink. You've no. always got to get like block headers in like straight away. Your latencies have got to be like on point. It's, you know, it's, it's running a full node and it being in sync most of the time. And then there's running a full node and it sort of being the best full node on the network. So it's, it's always a challenge. It's very different, especially in the terms of scale. Uh, it's like if you're running a public API or a consumable RPC for people, um, and something happens on the network and you're the main, like think about Infura, right? Yeah. Uh, for Ethereum, like there, there's like running a node on Ethereum, especially archival for archival data is hard. Um, yeah. And the scale at which any given archive node can handle requests is low. So yeah. it's a tremendous, a tremendous amount of resources to deal with spike uh, I guess the spike requests, like a bunch of people hammering your service uh, <laughs> as fast as possible. And then, then be like, listen, this sucks. Your, your service sucks because they don't understand a lot of the infrastructure that goes in the back of providing such a service. And, uh, and, and most of the that's standard practice, like we've made it harder on ourselves in terms of infrastructure and um, making it and, and making it easy to scale and provide quality services to people who don't have to run things yeah. yeah so kudos to people like you who make it look easy and make it easier for people to like get into these 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 networks and start participating because more often than not that's what really needs to happen no i i appreciate it it makes the um 4 a.m page of duty call outs where i get woke up in the night worth it so yeah thank you for that yeah i'm i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm personally a fan of infrastructure so i i these these things mean a lot to me. Uh, <laughs> and my question is a much easier one. Well, maybe not. Can you describe blockchain in 10 words or less? Oh, um, it's a trustless settlement layer allowing people to exchange and define contractual agreements without any third parties. That probably was, wasn't 10 words. Maybe like one or two over. I lost it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're close though. And that was a good answer. <laughs> All right, Johnny. Thanks for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate it. And uh, hope to hear back from you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Speak soon. Are you working in a job that sucks bowels? Does your job suck and ergo your life? Do you want to change that? Because your life is sucking? Join the TBP Slack. Get a better job. I still love <laughs> that B-roll of that chick like walking in a room and just like just like touching the chimes. <laughs> Does your job suck, Bows? Uh, I switched over to whiskey. I've been there, bro. I've been in whiskey camp, and I'm staying there. It's that time, bro. No, uh, but the thing I love about Chainlink, well, the thing I love about crypto in general is like we're literally a part of humanity understanding, hey, we need a global computer. Like, the, the, the it's crazy. Like, it's not crazy. It's interesting that, like, do you remember that movie, uh, The Time Machine, with uh, not Ethan Hawke, but the other skinny white guy? The guy that looks a lot like Brad Pitt, but isn't Brad Pitt? Guy Pierce. Yep. Um, <laughs> And he, Guy, Guy Pisser, did I get the Guy Pierce? There's no R, Alicia, but it's close. I'm looking in the chat for once. Um, no, uh, 
and he he landed in that future of Earth, and then Orlando Brown was playing Bloom? a library. Orlando Bloom, no, Orlando Bloom. Bloom, Orlando Bloom was playing a librarian in the future, but it was just a a, a hologram dude walking around with all of humanity's knowledge like walking around and educating this person and it was legit he was like oh you're a time traveler well like let me hook you up with some knowledge like a lot of shit has happened let me what are you trying to do try to research like what happened in this year what happened in that year i got you fam and the only way to have that kind of system is to have a global it's not orlando bloom it's orlando jones orlando bloom is thor the rings i think isn't it Oh yeah, Orlando Bloom is definitely a white guy. Orlando Jones <laughs> is the black guy that played the library. Mix seven up uh, yours. But um only way it just makes me think of like the possibilities in the future if there is a global computer, right? Like even the computer that I have right now, which is a monster because I gets down like that. But I'm not using all of the resources of this computer. I'm using a small fraction. Like imagine if all those other resources that I weren't using, I could dedicate a certain amount to some and still have enough capacity to do the things I need to do personally. But instead I was just, you know, um, you know, contracting out all these other resources that could go towards a global computer. The idea of that to me is very sexy. So like the idea of us slowly figuring out this process over time is very sexy. An Oracle network is something that works and drives the internet the way it works today. You may not know this because it doesn't matter. When you click post my post on Instagram, you don't give a shit what happened, how the fucking sausage is made. You don't care how the sausage is made. You just care that you can post a picture on Instagram and then 30 seconds get all the likes you need to get yourself excited about your own life, right? But there's lots of layers of technology that go into that. And it's kind of interesting that we're like a little audible history of us figuring out these things and how to make them distributed quote unquote decentralized and at the end of the day effective i think like we're just tipping the scales on it being effective like we had all these dreams of grandeur back in 2017 back in 2015 we did but now we're we're just getting to the point where like oh like we can do these things and this is how we do them and yeah it doesn't work great but it works It, it works it's getting the job done right and so it's it's just fun to be a part of. That's all. I'll get off my soapbox now and let Jesse shit on it. Uh, the gas fees are crazy, dude. <laughs> I remember I remember donating <laughs> to the Gitcoin grant for uh, Corey's hashing it out, and I, I think I think I paid like seventeen or twenty dollars to donate, like twenty dollars. Next time it'll like, be better because they're moving everything over to different layer twos and options. And gas mm. fees are coming down. Well, for now, uh, I was going to riff off of what you were just saying, D, because it's it's been fun to kind of see what the overall narrative is as time goes on, and we do this podcast. It started out when we started this. It was like, screw the banks. We're making the new banks. Mm-hmm. Privacy for everybody. We're going to enable people to to live the way they want to live by getting paid in places they normally wouldn't be able to, which happened. Uh, but like, and then we like Ethereum came along. And I mean, I got got excited about it. And the concept of smart contracts started getting really big and people were building these things. And we're like, oh man, we can do smart contracts. We can do all this crazy stuff with like the rules behind money, how money transfers. And they were like, oh, we can make new tokens. And then ICO boom happened. And then it was like, oh, we can make things that automatically trade tokens. And then we're like, wait, 
how do we get the price of the token in the smart contract? Oh, getting real world data into a smart contract is terrible. Because these like, because <laughs> like when, when we looked at the previous narrative of Ethereum, it was like the world computer. It's like, cool, it's the world computer, but it's ignorant to everything outside of itself, right? You can't yeah. inject real world information into the Ethereum and expect it to be true. Like the, the, the computer just takes input. It doesn't care what it means and it does whatever the input says. And so if that input is wrong, just like the, you know, standard saying in data science, like bad data is going to give you bad insight. Mm -hmm. uh, then like we needed to come up with a solution to how do we inject real world data prices, the weather, who won a given sports game like into the blockchain so that it can do what it needs to do with the smart contracts and pay the right people. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's how Tay turned into Nazi bot is bad data. What? Right. Like remember that, like, what was it? I think it was Microsoft or who was it that actually released Tay? It was a, it was a machine learning algorithm, an artificial intelligence that was put out on Twitter and you can interact with it. And it, it, it changed its behavior based on how it got interacted with. And it, it like based on the things that people were sending to it and having conversations with it, it immediately turned into like a white supremacist. So it was like this, like the persona was like a 14-year-old girl, but it went hard racist real quick because it just got like unvetted bad data. And you can't do that with smart contracts because it's dealing with people's money. And so like mm -hmm. we've seen this, this like, Oh, we made this work and it works so good, but we found this other problem that we didn't realize ahead of time. And it has drastic consequences to how the whole system works. And one of those consequences is how you get real world data into a blockchain, which is the whole concept of what Chainlink is trying to solve mm. by like making sure that the sources are incentivized to give the right thing and penalized if not. And there's a bunch of different sources that are coming together to feed a single type of data into the smart contract so it's you have strong confidence that it's the way it's supposed to be and that's a, like that's a really important thing yeah and just the idea of oracles just in and of itself i mean i hate that i reference this almost every week but have you seen the matrix did you see the whole <laughs> character called the oracle and what she did and what she meant and how powerful she was like thank you i knew that was coming thank you uh <laughs> but like I mean, it's, it's it's obvious looking back on it that oracles are needed, but when in the time during the whole crazy everything of figuring it out, it's it's not too obvious. So, and it's very interesting to me to just see all these. Like, if you think about how far a computer has come, all these bits and pieces of the functionality of the computer, uh, hard drive space, not hard drive space, uh, storage, uh, random access memory, um, that new kind of juicy ass sexy memory that. What's that new like solid state memory you like plug directly into the motherboard and then clip it down? That's so the, the, the way you, what you're talking about is uh, so that is the connection type, right? It's NVMe. Uh, so it yeah, works on an M.2 yeah. connection. That's so what it uses. It, if you want to get tactical, uses the PCI bus instead of uh, the, SATA, the SATA bus in order to communicate with the rest of the computer. So it's much, much, much faster way to access a solid state hard drive. And they're little tiny little things. It just little tiny, looks like a little, it's smaller than, it's actually smaller than the RAM uh, in terms of like yeah, the type like, of chip you put on your computer. 
and they're getting really big too and they're ultra fast and that like just that same process that's going to take place but virtualized and on a and a, on a global virtual machine is kind of cool to be a part of humanity figuring this out. I'm not figuring it out. I talk about it, but like, <laughs> but there's people figuring it out. Um, so let's, let's talk about one more thing and then we'll probably just kind of wrap it up. Cause uh, that Johnny Walker is getting lonely over there. I got a whole night of that. I got shout out to, <laughs> shout out to Allie for making 12 ETH on her, uh, on her NFT sale. Yeah. Good job, Allie. Allie. By the way, uh, she had already offered me um, a painting. So I'm getting my avatar getting done. And then I'm going to try and parlay that into all of our avatars getting done so that we can put them up somewhere where you can see them on the show. Oh, that'd like be in the background. I'll probably like change my fuse so you can see above the, the mantle here and then I'll have it up there. We'll all have it. That'll be pretty sweet. And we'll okay. actually have the digital yeah. version of those things too. So like digital art, art, like I I think my show avatar, I'd like our show avatars to be the painting she makes for us. That'd be dope. I just want to sell NFTs. Is it selfish of me to just want to sell an NFT just to be like, yeah, I sold this digital piece of art for $7,000. We're like, what? Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Get on my fucking level. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Let's let's do, let's do our original characters. That we had for a while back on the podcast. Sorry, Jesse, you could left out of this one. No, it's okay. <laughs> we'll retroactively well, make you one. <laughs> those original characters are stuck in the black hole of. Okay, maybe. I, I have. I have some. Uh, files. I have some. They're probably all on the on the on the website. I'll find them. We'll figure it out. I got this. Um, I bet Ken has them. Uh, Ken's the one that Ken's the one that had them made. Bozak. Yeah, Ken. Ken gives us those nowadays. He's a straight up celebrity, bro. Have you looked? Have you been looking at his whole life lately? Yeah, because his whole life is private jets. The man is flying on private private jets and having private interviews on jets. This guy is an NFT. Well, he got NFT tattooed under his left eye. That's commitment. I don't. That's commitment. I don't have. That's you know. Well. He's been talking about NFTs since mid-2017 and telling the world NFTs are going to be a big deal. You guys just don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. I'm telling you. But he was doing it in like a unicorn suit. So it was like hard. And on pornography. I'm not saying he ain't wrong. It was was really. He was like having sex with his ex-girlfriend and putting it on the internet and being like, yeah, NFTs NFTs are going to be great. (laughs) <laughs> NFTs, baby, and it's like, how do I, how do I listen to this? It's hard for me to listen to this. But anyways, um, shout out to you, Bozak. I know you're doing your thing. Um, let's. What is uh, I wanted to talk about Coinbase is trying to put pressure on the SEC, which is the best entity to put pressure on a government about those green lighting and EFT. So I've talked about this many times ETF. in the past, but I don't ETF, sorry, ETF. Uh, I've talked about this many times <laughs> in the past, and that is that the sheer volume increase that happens when you have an ETF of an asset is just astronomical. And people, if you don't believe me, go look at the gold price chart from the 1930s to the 1960s slash 70s when, and you'll see the giant hockey stick when the government greenlit a gold ETF. And it's like thousands of percent. 
because all of a sudden there are there's just a there's a massive uh let's just call it a stampede of entities that can now legally own a tangential part of this asset that they've been trying to get in for a long time there's hedge funds trying to beat down the door to own or get exposure to crypto but they can't they simply cannot legally purchase any of it they have to legally purchase something that reduces their risk right because usually hedge funds and other things of that nature have a lot of people's money poured into it and a lot of people's money poured into it means that you need to take that risk down to almost zero in order for that thing that entity to still exist and generate interest and generate some sort of positive outcome for the greater society so if a bitcoin etf is approved a u.s bitcoin etf at that i don't know about you guys but i'm gonna name my boat i told you so the uss i told you so it's what i'm gonna name my boat itys yeah because it's just uh uh, I mean, people really don't understand the, the 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 consequences of an ETF. Now you have a government. Now you have municipal pensions that can buy Bitcoin. You have um, state retirement funds that can buy Bitcoin. You have family hedge funds that have exorbitant amounts of red tape that can now buy not buy Bitcoin. I don't want to say that too loosely, but they can buy. They can expose themselves to that asset at a very minimal amount of risk. And so it's a big deal. And I just wanted to tell oh, the audience. What do you mean by minimal risk? Uh, because they're not directly exposed to Bitcoin. They're like buying some sort of tangential share of something that someone owns. And when it comes into that, it's, it's all about the particular to the laws of regul like regulated uh, assets. So like Pretty if something much. goes wrong, you know who to sue. Like that, okay. That's pretty, pretty much, much. That's exactly. pretty much the gist of uh, why they can't do it because it's not legal, mm -hmm. and it's not legal because they don't know who to sue in case something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So when you put yeah, it in yeah. this vehicle, which is the ETF, the, the 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 current law of the United States understands what to do with something like how to use an ETF, how mm -hmm. assets are poured into them, and the underlying like liabilities of what an ETF is. And so mm -hmm. when something goes wrong. There's precedence on how to handle that, that like arbitration, and since okay. th when they have that, then you like you have this vehicle that people are comfortable throwing a tremendous amount of money in, because they know that they can they know the implications of what can go wrong and what they can do in in that case. Whereas like you look at something as wild as like the crypto industry, even Bitcoin by itself, there's no arbitration mechanism when something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you go to like an OTC, or you go to like buy something from weird exchange, and the rug gets pulled out from under you. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nobody you can go and ask. I mean, like, there is, but like, look how long it took Mount Gox to be settled. Mm -hmm. I see. Mm -hmm. That takes a long ass time. So that took a long ass time. So, so at the end of the day, I guess I'll stop circle jerking to the possibilities of a Bitcoin ETF. But at the end of the day, that's what it does. And then, after the Bitcoin ETF, there's obvious, there's Ether ETF, Litecoin ETF, uh, heaven forbid, an e, uh, Ripple ETF, heaven Dogecoin. forbid, a Doge ETF. <laughs> Please no. But <laughs> that's a that's yeah. a future. That's a potential future we're gonna live in. So yeah, get ready, buckle up. I mean, we didn't see any of this stuff coming. So 
there's currently a timeline in reality that exists where a, a man or woman is going to say to their grandkids or nieces, all this, all that you see before you was built on Dogecoin. And they're going to be like, but grandma or grandpa, what's Doge? Let me tell you a little something about Shiba. Have a seat. Like that reality oh, is going to happen. You that re- <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that reality is going to so anyways, let's let's wrap. Let's wrap. It's been a good show. We had a great interview with Mr. Huxtable. Not that Huxtable. Um, and, you know, we're going to... What? Not that Huxtable. Yeah, oh, so let's do the thing. So, oh my God, it's so hard to point at Patreon? I got you, boo. Oh, oh okay, got you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesse's like getting away from me. Oh, wrong way. Become a patron. <laughs> We flip I'm a patron. I'm looking to see if in the uh, settings of this thing you can flip the camera because this is really hard. Shit with you can flip the camera. It's, no. it's in a, it's I can, in a, I yeah, can flip my logic. own camera. Okay, check this shit out. Yeah. On. Okay, so Corey's doing his thing. Uh, become a patron. Go to the patreon.com slash the Bitcoin podcast and you can become a patron. You'll get stuff. You'll get things. I think we've delivered on most. Two of you still deserve stickers. You're getting those Moon Boy stickers and you're getting those Moon Girl stickers. Um, also, this is a YouTube endeavor and we're trying to grow our YouTube because what YouTuber isn't, right? We're not just going to YouTube to keep a digital diary. Maybe we are. I don't know. Maybe we're those guys. Like we're chocolate rain type of people, but we're not chocolate we're rain. Yeah, so yeah, so Taste go here, go here, and scan that. Pause the screen, scan that, and subscribe to our YouTube. And you know, you can get shows like this all the time. Work? Let's and see then, if that works. Let's try and scan my own phone. Test it out. Test it out. See if it works. I am. Chill out. I like the artwork. Artwork on the wall behind you, D. Not looking good. Yeah. I'm getting any scannable situation here. My phone does not like this. All right. We'll have to make that Uh-oh. different. We'll figure oh, that out. We'll figure got that it. Up. Got it, son. You got it? There we go. There it is. Yeah, and hey, there it is. It ring the bell. Do the things. Yeah. Do the things. Do the YouTube things. You know, like, uh, you know, oh, you like that, Jesse? That's, yeah. Uh, no, I, no, no. The other side. The, the jazz oh, you're talking about John Coltrane and Miles Davis? Oh, that's Miles well, Davis. The, the thing about Miles Davis is he did a lot of cocaine. And the thing about John <laughs> Coltrane is, is he did too. Didn't they all, did, they all did a lot of cocaine. Like everyone back then, the cocaine was yeah. what you did. Yeah. yeah, jazz and cocaine were synonymous. So, um, and then over there is the Tuskegee Airmen, which small history lesson, there was a small unit of black pilots that really <laughs> fucked hitler's shit up bad like we were we were like fuck you bitch we got you bitch like fuck him up and it sounded just like that back in the 40s they were like oh you nazi motherfucker we got your ass bitch and then they shot him down but then they came back to the states and they were like yeah thanks but no thanks and then you know we all know how that history goes but that's the Tuskegee Airmen. Should have we should have like a premium content of D giving history lessons that would be nice i would like to listen to that. people i think people would pay for that I'd pay for that. They were mm. they were called the Red Tails. And if you could take uh, you know, maybe this is a bad analogy, maybe I've been drinking too much, but take the exceptional uh hand eye coordination 
of a one LeBron James and put him behind the wheel of one of those red tails. could fit in a plane. And we're swatting <laughs> Nazis left and right, bro. could no, fit in okay. a plane. <laughs> Anyways, let me stop before I get in trouble. House full of black people. I don't want to say anything. All right, so shout out to uh, Noah. Join the Slack. Join the Slack. Uh, go to uh, the bitcoinpodcast.com, push the button that says Slack, follow the instructions. You can't do that? Fuck off. That transparency, uh, though. Apple, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Is that one douche? No, <laughs> no there's a, a couple. There's a couple douches in there. You're giving us, uh, like, oh, you guys are boring. You don't talk about price. Well, go listen to those dudes. Like, there's Jim Cramers are popping up left and right. Oh, the price of Ethereum is going to be $5,000. And let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do you know, the price of XYZ. That's not us. It's never going to be us. If you want your jollies to get rocked off, but go listen to those dudes. We just don't do that. It's boring as shit. You can literally talk about that every day. <laughs> the price went up $5. What does that mean? The price went up $15. People really like that, that, though. That's like the best the content that really pulls in viewers. You know what's not fun or interesting? That. That. Yeah. yeah I agree. Insane you, know, you know what I'm never going to do? That. that. Yeah, I agree. The, the price went down $30. What does that mean? Does that mean that... Uh, you know you know what we could talk day? about, D, one day? What's up? Boat what types. Up? Boat types? Yeah. Like catamarans, oh, yeah. you know? Like that would be like, an interesting. <laughs> that would nope, be interesting. Not doing you know, that either. No. <laughs> you know, you know what happens from not talking about price? You get to talk about the price of boats and the styles of boats. That's there you go. You need to do. Um, let's uh, let's say what else? Uh, shout outs. Shout out to Lori Harvey for uh, being this dude's girlfriend. Hold up. Michael B. Jordan pulled Lori Harvey. Or at least she pulled him. I don't know. It's 2021, you know, you know, so, you know, shout out to you both for being attractive, youthful people doing attractive, youthful people things. Shout out to old wide face. Zoe Saldana doing your thing. Wide face and long neck looking beautiful. Shout out to Gabrielle Union. Shout out to old Gabrielle Union. Shout out to Michelle Obama. Hold on. Go back to Gabrielle. Okay. Go back to Michelle. Gabrielle? Michelle, oh, shit. It's a time-space continuum. Okay, so Michelle Obama is old Gabrielle Union. Okay, next shout-out. <laughs> next shout-out. Uh, shout-out to her. She's pretty. Shout-out. <laughs> I don't know who it is. I never know who it is. I keep wanting to know who it is, but I don't. Oh, didn't I used to give a shout out to uh, Zati Beats at one point? You did. Yeah, Zati for Beats. a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zati Beats. So um, thank you guys for tuning in. Please do all the YouTube stuff. Uh, if you're looking for a job because your job sucks, bows, you can join the Slack and learn a thing or two. And then being myself, Corey or Jesse, will point you in the right direction to get a job in crypto. This industry is most likely booming a lot. So there's going to be many, many opportunities for people who have the skills. Now, I will warn you, the priority tends to be, can you code and are technically sound? And then everything else falls after that. See, the reason why Corey just made that uh, broken oboe noise is because because that's changing. The industry is getting more robust. If you could type really fast, there might be a job for you in crypto. So so there we go. 
yeah, join the Slack. Get a better job. Have a better life. Um, what else am I missing? Hmm. Nothing. Yeah, no. Let's rock and roll. 